0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Wednesday Conversation. I'm Mike Kresnick. Oh, sad Uh, day. He's still uh, here. And I'm here with Pastor Bob Thune and Pastor Dusty White of Corn Church, And again, my friend Kevin Huddleston. Every Wednesday, we sit down and talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ connects to the questions and issues of everyday life. And today we're talking about when life catches up to you.
1: Part two. Part two, it's a fifth Wednesday. Sometimes we dip into the archives wow. and re-release five. an old episode, but you know what? We just got room to keep, keep going about when life catches up to you, which is a topic we started talking about last week. And we, we gave you five moments that, that I think are inflection points in the soul. Uh, the, the first three of those were marriage, having children, and facing medical complexities. We talked about those three last week. This week, we want to talk about the last two which are being surprised by secrets in your family and then changing decades, sort of that, that moving into a new decade of life, that thing you feel when you turn 30 or yeah. 40 or 50 or 60 or 70, maybe not as much when you turn 20. Cause that's kind of an exciting moment. And you're like, oh, I'm not a teenager anymore. Um, you're and, like invincible. Still. Yeah. You're still invincible. But then as you go through each decade beyond, you get less and less invincible, I guess. Apparently that's what it feels like to me. So, um, yeah, we're, we want to talk about these last two moments um, and then sort of try to give some perspective of of what does it feel like when life catches up to you in these ways and what are some of the things we need to attend to in our souls in these moments. Um, we're, we're, we're sort of just trying to say, hey, as you live a life, there are about five, at least five different moments where <laughs> life is going to catch up to you in ways that are going to present an opportunity either for you to move deeper with the Lord or present an opportunity for you to Um, maybe move in a direction that's unhealthy for your soul. And so we're talking about what at least five of those moments are. Dusty, being surprised by secrets in your family. And we mentioned in last week's podcast, this is one of those things that is surprisingly common. Yes. And that no one is really ready for when it happens.
2: Yep. For some reason, I think, you know, just because of goodwill, maybe shame, maybe guilt, for whatever reason, it seems like every family system, unless it's like super duper healthy, seems like most families have some sort of weird secret that they have not shared, you know? Um, sometimes that's really dramatic and super disorienting. And then sometimes it's just this little known fact or little hidden fact that was not known that wouldn't have been a big deal. If it was known, it was just the fact that it hasn't been known makes it kind of a big deal. And then I think because of, uh, you know, certain generations, there's different, there's different iterations of these secrets because, you know, like the older generation thought that this was happening because this was going on in the culture or whatever, you know.
1: So I got a funny story here. Can I tell it? Yeah. I don't want to Another one, go. Uh, I, I, in a sermon recently, I was talking about how I had a conversation with my neighbor and she had this moment in her family where she had, before she married, um, she had gotten pregnant out of wedlock and put a child up for adoption. And I mean, this woman's 65 years old. And had this moment where adopted kid found her on Facebook and she, I was sitting in her backyard and she was telling this story and saying, Hey, let me tell you what happened to me last week. And it was like one of those moments where I was like, man, that is a lot. You know, she's, we're sitting around the backyard. I was like, that is a heavy moment, you know? And then, so I told that story in a sermon. I'm sitting with a guy from Coram Deo two weeks later. Was he like, that's my mom. And he, no, no, he was like, (laughs) I'm kidding. He was like, Hey, that exact thing happened with my mom. and She just told the family Three months ago, and I was like, You probably yep. thought I was talking about you, didn't I? Didn't you? And he was like, I thought you might have been. I was like, I wasn't. I was just talking about somebody totally different. Yeah. But but here we go. Like that that story is not a unique, unscripted, unheard of moment, even for someone that's just in a, in our relatively small congregation. So it just reminded me of like I'm telling this story that has to do with someone who, you know, lived in my neighborhood. And then I'm talking with another guy from church. And he's like, Yeah, that's that same story played out in my family as well.
2: Yeah. That stuff happens all the time. Maybe after the death of an aunt or an uncle or, you know, something you find out that that gal had an abortion and it was never known because you were a Christian. And, you know, so there's just, there's all these kinds of things, these secrets, when they get revealed, they get, the point is they're disorienting, big or small, they mess with you and it kind of catches up to you. And then spiritually you got to do something with it. Like this is an opportunity
1: that you, I have to steward. Do you think some are more disorienting than others? Oh, absolutely. So there's some that probably like if it's, a, if it's your, your family of origin, it's if it's yes. your mom or dad, yep. probably disorienting or, or a sibling. Yeah. More disorienting than if it's an aunt or a cousin or whatever.
2: So not in our church, but when I was a kid growing up, I knew of a situation. This was so weird. Imagine like me having to like know this. So growing up, I knew a kid. He thought, his sis- he thought his mom was his sister his whole life. She actually had him when she was a teenager. Oh, wow. And he thought his grandma was his mom. And that family just rolled with it. That's super disorder. And you knew that that wasn't the case? Yeah, because my family knew for some oh, wow. reason yeah. because of the friendships. Yeah. And the friendship had gone decades back, right? So, so my family knew the truth. He, this kid did not know. Now, obviously, someday he's going to figure that out. That's going to be a disorienting moment. Yeah. So I think, yeah, if they're in your family of origin, they're going to mess with you a little bit more. And that's an opportunity spiritually that has caught up to you that you're going to have to lean into and go, okay, what is God up to here? Why is this happening? What am I going to do with this disorientation? And how am I going to steward this moment?
1: So Dusty and Pastoral Counseling, I've walked with people as they've processed some of these kinds of moments. You've probably walked with quite a few more than I have. What What are the things that... I guess, what kind of disorientation does this create spiritually and what are the helpful things that people need to do to sort of move toward the Lord in moments like this?
2: The main thing that comes to mind is when this kind of stuff drops, we ask the question, what is true? Even though just this little thing happened, that doesn't mean it unravels everything else that you experienced is fake, you know, but it obviously puts a different wrinkle in it. You know, if all of a sudden you find out that, you know, your dad wasn't your biological dad. Um, You still had a dad and he was a great dad. And you, you attribute dad to being dad, but then all of a sudden you had a, a different dad. You know, that's now you're asking the question, okay, what is fundamentally true? What's true of my relationships? What's true of God? How come I didn't know this? There's a, a little hint, hint of betrayal depending on the, the moment, you know? So I think that's where, that's, that's the disorienting moment.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
2: What yeah. is truth?
1: Well, and you mentioned betrayal, Maybe there's a certain kind of disorientation too, right? Of just like, I've been living in a certain story and now actually I'm realizing the story I've been living in isn't the real story. Right. And so I think that's always disorienting when you realize like, I've been living with this certain narrative. It very, it's very similar to betrayal because it feels like, well, what I thought was true isn't true. Yeah. And so embracing what is true and figuring out how to reconcile that with the story I've been living is, is going to take some processing and community probably is going to take a good prayer life with the Lord and, and a centeredness emotionally and spiritually to be able to say, okay, uh, you know, truth is true. And I got to reckon with this reality that I I didn't have until this moment.
2: Yeah. And I think you just, you got to give yourself permission when, when this stuff happens to just give yourself space to recalibrate, you know, like in community with the Lord changes your prayers. It changes, you know, in that disorienting time, you're going to the only thing to get through disorientation is orientation and that's just going to take some time to recalibrate. I got to reboot, you know, Mm. like Mike would say on your computer, you're going to have to reset that. thing. (laughs) You restarted late. So he's like, did you restart? No, man, got no time for that.
1: Are you pondering something over there, Mike?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's not a, all these examples we're saying and are relational. And I think that's what the disorienting piece is, is that it affects how we relate to people or how we've hmm. always been, you know, how we thought we were relating to people. Nobody's saying like, Oh, dad had a, a Chevy and I, uh, the whole time I thought he had a Ford. Like nobody cares about that. <laughs> but yeah. like when, when you find out that grandma pushed grandpa down a flight of stairs and killed him, that's whoa, that was too specific. Maybe. <laughs> that wow. Was, that was intense. Um, like that's real. Yeah. that, and that, get, that got real. You relate to grandma. That got
2: real for me right now. Yeah. Well, well hey, so, by the way, if my dad did have like a Ford in storage or something, <laughs> I would
0: want to know about that.
3: Amen. <laughs> hey uh, also, I mean, Dusty, as you're narrating, my mind is going to things like attachment, things like, um, we talk about being story formed all the time. So you're, you're referencing that of like, I've lived in this kind of narrative, but it is, it is hard to think about those big things. I would also want to know, you know, if you have thoughts or if we have thoughts around the table about when there's small things. Because I, I do think there is ways where instead of a narrative or um a secret being exposed, there's some maybe there's just dark spots in my story where like I just don't know things about my family of origin or my parents or a loss or something. And so it's not as it's not as much of a like ripping some Velcro off and, and it suddenly it feels very exposing or betraying. It's more of like, man, there was just there is darkness now there's kind of light and oh oh, wow, that actually helps me make a lot more sense of some things I've felt, but I could never name, and now I know why. So it's probably less of a disorientation, but more of a disruption. And so I don't know. Do you feel like that's different, or is that is that along the same lines?
1: I think that's a little different because, we, you know, the word we're using here is secrets. Mm. And I think secrets um, disorient in a different way, right? Spots where it's like, oh, I didn't really know what was there, but now I see something, you know, that just I didn't have data for before. That's a little different than because because I think what happens with secrets is <laughs> you use the language of family system at the beginning of the podcast, right? And and you just use the language of attachment, Kevin. What you have when you have a secret is the whole family system has learned how to operate with that secret. Mm. So yeah. so now yeah, that you, is who we are, right? Yeah. yeah. So now, as a Christian and as a person reconciling with the truth in the light of God's grace, part of what you have to do is to say what does it mean now for me to reset this family system? Cause now we're not going to pretend that this isn't true anymore. Now the truth is out, but the, the system has learned to operate with the secret. And so there's a kind of maturity that comes with knowing, I think this connects to forgiveness, right? Cause like I, I got to forgive some people for not telling me the truth. I got to learn how to set some boundaries maybe in how I'm going to relate in this family system. If people are, used to sort of stepping around something that I don't feel like we should have been stepping around. Now I'm going to have to sort of set some boundaries and parameters for what's that going to look like. Um, So so I think it does create a different kind of spiritual turmoil and a different different kind of disorientation than just, you know, a spot where I didn't have some data points that now I have.
3: Mm. The same feels like, I mean, different example, but abuse in a family um, that didn't go noted or didn't get addressed correctly. And I know that's, that's hard for a lot of reasons, but then it also, if it's still live, like, if, you know, we're still living with these family members and maybe yeah. it's, it's different than that too, but that's real. Um, do you have any, I mean, as you think about how do I relate to people that I feel like I've betrayed me or withheld or, you know, disrupted? I mean, we as you think about examples, um, of times you've walked with people and how to count, I know every situation is different, but, um, for the listeners out there, they're like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm hearing, I'm understanding, but where do I start with rebuilding a relationship of some kind besides the the trust and forgiveness pieces? Is there anything else we're missing there?
1: There probably is, but I don't know that you can talk about it on a podcast because I think it's so specific situationally. So I think I just want people to know, I think what we're trying to name in this podcast is just to say, this is a moment when life catches up to you. And when all those secrets come, you know, when Pandora's box gets opened, you know, it all crashes in and that, you know, that's going to create some reasonable disorientation and it's going to take some recalibration in Mm -hmm. in your own soul, in your family system, in your relationship with the Lord.
2: Yeah. There's probably secrets where I can respond to it and go, okay, this is, I got to recalibrate here. This is, this is changing some stuff. And then there's other secrets where I'm like, oh, this actually changes everything. And now, now it changes a lot of things on how we can't just actually go back to normal. We got to, we're going to do it different now. That's helpful.
1: So that's one of those categories that I think, you know, if, if that's a place where life catches up to with you, you're going to need some solid community and you're probably gonna need some pastoral counseling and care. And, you know, so just, just know that like, yep, if that's in your story. If life catches up to you in that way, um, you know, there's something for you to step into as far as pursuing healing. This last one we're going to talk about is a little more general than that. It's a little less yeah. you know, specific and, and, uh, even messy, but it's, it's one that I think is maybe the most sort of like general revelation, common grace. And that is just changing decades. Um, Which reminds me, Mike, you were going to read us some song lyrics, and I think it might fit right here in this sort of...
0: Totally. Um, Andrew Peterson is one of my favorite um, authors and musicians. Um, He has a song called Day by Day. Uh, Lyrics go like this. Well, you have never met a single soul who didn't feel the curse's toll, who didn't wish the death would die. Well, maybe that's the reason why it can hurt so bad, but it's so good to be young and I don't want to go back. I just want to go on and on and on. So don't lose heart. Though your body's wasting away, your soul is not. It's being remade day by day by day. Man, that, we should have ended the podcast with that. <laughs> man, that's a good line. I, I don't want to go back. Yeah, it's true. Well, I mean, yeah. he's he's wrestling with like, I wrestle with, man, I'd really, I'd love to go back to Eden. Mm. Love to walk in the cool of the day with the Lord. You know, not know my shame. But he, he, his perspective is like, no, if we walk in this life day by day, we're actually being renewed, we're being remade, and that's actually better. Yeah, we're going to be pulled forward. Yeah.
1: So there's, you're right, midlife crisis has been like a trope for for a long season of time. I like to call it midlife discontentment. Thank it's kind you. of like Father's Day, though, now. Yeah, you know? it kind of is. Just,
2: it, it just is a thing, people think.
1: Yeah, but I, I think it's a trope for a reason. And, you know, there's... um. Like when I was a kid, it was like midlife crisis it was like the guy goes and buys a sports car and you know, like mm-hmm. there's some weird thing of like your, my friend's dad is like driving a Corvette now and he's like, your dad kind of just <laughs> went and bought a Corvette, I guess, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the reality of changing decades, I think does come with, uh, this is a place where I think we need to live with foresight and where you need to anticipate what each of these moments is going to feel. And we've done some podcasts in the past that you can go back in the archive and, on sort of the stages of discipleship. It's very similar to, I think, what we're talking about here. But there's a moment, like, when you turn 30, when you turn 40, when you turn 50, 60, 70, there's a moment in these sort of shifts of decade where it feels big for a reason, because it kind of is. There's a part of life that you're saying goodbye to, and there's a part of life that you're turning and facing. And it doesn't look the same for every person. But because of how our bodies age and change, it, there are some things that are that generally occur in these seasons of life that are really true right most you will be hard pressed to find unless i mean tom brady is an exception right but a lot of professional Man. athletes by the time they're 30 they're reaching the end of their career and the reason is because you're strongest and most fit and most active in your 20s and when you shift into the 30s you're shifting into a season that's a little more like you know you start to feel a little bit more of those limitations and you know wake up with more aches and pains and there's there's realities there and there's also a season where by the time you hit 50 for sure. And 40 for a lot of people, your childbearing years are coming to an end. And so a lot of people who are parenting are in the thirties and forties. And so you're not only shifting out of a season where it sort of like feels like you're, you're more carefree and got a lot more energy, but you're shifting into a season where just the demands are heaviest. You know, most people that I know who the demands are heavy in their home and at their work, it's people in the thirties and forties. You know, if you're if you're in a career for a long time, by the time you're in your fifties, you're probably pretty established in that career and you have a little more freedom. Cause know you You can define your own schedule a little bit more, but man, most of the people we know in their thirties and forties are people that are like, man, working for the man. <laughs> they got to be there when the boss wants them there. And they're, they're working hard because they're trying to build something, a family, a job, a resume, a career. And so I think people just, there's something about life in those seasons that kind of feels, um, a bit overwhelming, a bit taxing, a bit like, man, I'm, I'm spending, I'm burning the candle at both ends. And it kind of feels like, you know, I go home from work tired and then I get home and I'm more tired. And you know, uh,
2: that's a reality. Kevin, I was just having a conversation, not with you, but with another guy today. And uh, he's a decade younger, younger than me. Exactly. Just had a baby. And I was sharing with him how our youngest who is seven, by the way, our youngest is seven of six kids. And she had an ear infection and she was in our room five nights in a row. And JC and I, our conversation at the end of the week was like, man, we could never have a baby. Like <laughs> those five <laughs> nights, like took it out of us, man. I mean, we were shot. And I just, I was telling him, I was joking with him. Cause they're just up, you know, all But they basically don't sleep. And I just remember not sleeping. And I remember last week going like, oh yeah, I can never have a baby. I can't mm-hmm. even do an ear infection anymore.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Preach that. So, that the shift of decades from your twenties to your thirties and from your thirties to your forties, I think are are these kinds of moments. It's a shift toward a greater weight of responsibility and the way Ronald Rollheiser says it that I think is true. And again, these, these, these are generalizations. And so I know there are listeners, to this podcast and they're like, that doesn't fit me. Right. Okay. Sure. But you, you, we have to generalize somehow. Okay, <laughs> you can be, Maybe Tom Brady's listening, right? Hey Tom, keep playing. You're doing great. But, the the shift at 40, that's generally sort of what we would consider the shift to midlife. So I think when you turn into your for, the decade of your 40s, what a lot of people feel that Rollheiser talks about is a sense of resentment mm-hmm. or resignation or regret. Because what you realize when you turn 40 is you've gotten a lot less done than you wished you would have. Some of your dreams haven't worked out. The places you wish you were going to be, you're not there the things you really would have liked to give in yourself to you kind of see them in the rearview mirror already. And there's a sense of Rollheiser talks about a resentment of the responsibility that like that you're carrying, like, you know, like you're talking about dusty, you got a bunch of kids who are teenagers, Mike, and they're not saying thanks for being such a providing dad. You know, they're just like, (laughs) thanks for paying the bills. They're they're mainly complaining about all the stuff you won't let them do. And so there's just this sense that like when you hit 40, there's a lot of things you have to reckon with about, what hasn't happened in life, what might not happen in life, and sort of a closing of a certain kind of window um, that that is a real thing and that I think is very disorienting to people. And I'm really provoked because this is a real thing in our church where I think making that shift is hard for people, like embracing greater limitation, a greater resignation to like, my life hasn't been everything I hoped it would be, the kind of despair and sadness that comes with that. I don't think people know what to do with that. And so what midlife crisis is, is sort of a releasing of that energy. It's sort of like, I'm going to go buy a Corvette because dang it, it's the one thing I can do and enjoy that sort of (laughs) lets me take out my anger or my sadness or my whatever. And buying a Corvette is just a, you know, that's a trope for all kinds of other things. Right. But the idea is that there's this I'm it's a kind of lament, but it's, I think it's a deeply emotive thing that when people haven't built the sort of emotional capacity to navigate that and to do it in community, it can just feel really lonely. We were talking recently about just the reality that like you feel lonely in ways that you don't, you're not actually that lonely. You have real people in your life, but there's a kind of loneliness. that's just like, man, life kind of sucks in ways I didn't expect.
2: And I think the maturing moment there is to feel that stuff appropriately with others and let other people into it. So there's a certain vulnerability I got to let, you know, like if I'm feeling that way, Bob, I I actually need to share that with you or somebody else. And I need to get others in on that moment with me. And I'm not going to heal through that moment with just more ideas. Like, like I had in my twenties and thirties, like lots of ideas, lots of energy, lots of angst, like in good angst, really. I'm not going to heal through that moment with just better ideas. I'm going to heal through that moment with maturing, through that emotional pathway and lamenting and
0: maturing. That podcast where we talk about Ronald Reheiser's, let's say his name right, Ronald Rolheiser's book, Sacred Fire, The Three Phases of Discipleship. So, if you what's go back? The, what episode? We didn't number them back. Oh, it was before oh, that a so number. Before overseas. Can you guys, um, a lot of the listeners that we have are in ministry, pastors. Can you guys speak to this a little bit for? The, the people in ministry who aren't bouncing from job to job, trying to build their career, but they're trying to be faithful ministers in one place for a long time. And yet they still feel this discontentment or the, this midlife crisis. in as they bounce from phase to phase.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, I don't know what you, what you're
0: asking specifically. Like, are you asking how does this, how does ministry put a different tint on this? Yeah. Cause I think good pastors and good ministers aren't going um, you know, they're not seeing their, their role as a minister, as a career, like right. what have I given myself to, sure. you know? So, but the feelings are still there. I yeah. I think they, I think they should be seeing it not in a, not in a negative way, like but like a resume, way. you know, I'm not building a resume. Yeah. But everyone kind of
1: is, I mean, you, you know, you're still, especially for men, there's a sense of like what you contribute to the world is a meaningful part of bearing the image of God. Um, you know, I planted quorum day when I was 31, tons of energy, tons of momentum, all kinds of dreams and ideas of what we could do and how we're going to do it. And it was really fun. And I like the, the, my thirties were a decade of like, man, I loved what I was plowing myself into because it felt like, man, I got lots of energy. I want to do something meaningful in the world. Let's do this. Uh, I don't think it wasn't really driven out of like, I must make a name for myself as much as it was just like, I got energy and I'm going to put it somewhere and I want to, I want to count for the kingdom. Right. And so, you know, church planting is one of the callings where, you can um, release some of that and and hopefully bless the world in a certain kind of way. Uh, when I turned 40, I took a retreat uh, at a lake house. That's I, smart. Might have been 41, but yeah. When I hit my 40s, took a, took a five-day solitude retreat at uh, my friend's lake house. And I wept for like a day and a half just because I, I looked back over my 30s and realized like all the sadness and loneliness that was also caught up in that. Like we had built a thing and it had been successful and there was a ton of joy in it, but there was also like... Things that just had not materialized the way I wanted. And so I just remember like filling up some pages in my journal of like all the stuff I was really sad about that just felt like these are unfulfilled longings. These are things I were hoping that would materialize that didn't materialize and losses that I need to lament and grieve. And that's like, for me, that was, (laughs) that was like a lot of that stuff just leaking out and just going, man, I, I guess I could avoid that if I wanted to, but I don't think you really can. I think that's, that's all the stuff that's.
2: Yeah. It's, it's catching real. up to you yeah. in the background,
1: you know, it's like, it's pressing in there. Yeah. And if you don't stop to sort of take stock of it. So I, that's a long answer to your question, Mike. But I think what I'm saying is, I think for those in ministry, for pastors and ministry leaders, the same thing is true. Like, man, 30s, is a lot of energy like pouring out at stuff. And man, that shift at 40 is sort of like a chance to sort of step back and go, hey, let's also be honest about the losses, the lament, the the unfulfilled longings, the things that haven't gone the way I wish they would have gone the places where it feels like God hasn't showed up or people haven't showed up or, you know, um, those are real. And I think <laughs> these, th- that's also why some people in ministry blow up their lives about 39 or 40 yeah. is cause it's yeah. just like that stuff's all backing up on them and they're not sure what to do with it. And so it's just like, you know, you end up doing stupid stuff because because yeah. you're not putting that all before the Lord and, and sorting it out.
2: Man, I just want to say that's a beautiful moment. I'm sure somebody's driving with their AirPods right now going like, huh, that's interesting. I don't have time to go to my friend's cabin. I need a friend with a cabin. You know, we're thinking all sorts of stuff. <laughs> I just want to say that's a beautiful thing. Like that's maturity. that You can spend a couple of days in a place disciplining yourself towards silence and solitude and tears. Like yeah. that's a beautiful thing. We need to do that stuff. Mike, I would answer your question with, I think in each decade I need to know who I am and then I need to own who I am. And especially in the 40s. And I'm not saying that just because I am in my 40s now. I'm saying that because I think people in their 40s, especially men in ministry, still want to act like they're in their 30s. Mm. And that is just, that is that is a disservice to the church. That's what that is. Mm. So you cannot live off the fumes of your adolescence in your 20s. And you can't live off of the fumes of your 30s into your 40s. You have to start embracing certain limits and you got to start figuring out, okay, what, what is mine to steward here? What moment am I in after I do some lamenting and, and mature through those moments, what is mine right now to contribute for the next decade? Cause I, I think I have until about 55 to really give a lot of energy, uh, f- basically full-time contributive years where I can like produce stuff. So, you know, there are Tom Brady's out there, but <laughs> And then from like 55 on, I'm messing with our buckets here, but like 55 on. 55
1: is not one of my categories. 55
2: on. It is for me (laughs) because you you and I are cut from different genetics. (laughs) But like I'm thinking like 55 on, I want to, that's going to be some of my best years. I think I'm going to contribute a lot, not, uh, not with production, but with presence, availability, maturity, mentorship, guiding.
1: So I think... We just, I got to know who I am and what moment I'm in. Yeah. To your point, most people would say the forties and fifties are where you can make your sort of best long-term contribution as a leader, because you have the maturity, the wisdom, the life experience to really invest in the next generation. So I think if you can make that turn, forties and fifties can be very productive decades and should be, but also should be also, I think the temptation in that decade, and I'm going to speak directly to our church here because I know that everybody's not the same in those decades but I think if you've had some measure of success and you get to that point in life, that's where the temptation is just to play. Right. So it's like where you you see people like, yeah, it's like, man, my kids are kind of raised and you know, I'm kind of toward the empty nest years. And so sweet, we're going to buy a boat. We're going to buy a second house in Colorado. We're going to like, we just sort of fritter away energy instead of saying like, man, what can I really give to the kingdom of God and to the world with these years where I have a lot to contribute. And I do think, I would put the market maybe 60, you know, there's a shift toward like a more sagely kind of wisdom and energy that needs to be invested in people and in the church. And then I think I've, I've been really blessed by watching, you know, I've walked my parents through the shift at 50, 60, and 70. I haven't hit those marks yet, so I don't have a lot to say experientially about that. But I do think those are sort of inflection points as well as you shift in life and ministry. And I, you know, serving on the gospel coalition council, I've walked alongside DA Carson, Tim Keller, John Piper, as they've turned 70. And, as, and I'm really impressed with how those guys and Sam Storms and a few others and how those guys all have thought about like succession. They've thought about like, hey, 70, yeah. like I got a lot of energy left. I don't think any of those guys are like, let me just hang it up. You know, John Piper's not going to start collecting seashells tomorrow and no, doing nothing. Probably not. But, but those men all saw 70 as sort of a moment of like, hey, I need to like come up with a transition plan and basically work myself out of the role that I'm in so that I can give myself more broadly and and sort of expect greater limitation, greater weakness, uh, less energy. Like I just feel like those men pretty maturely embraced what that shift probably needs to look like at age 70 or so. And I think people making that shift is really hard for people that have been very productive. You know, it's like, it's hard to sort of back off the throttle at 70 and go, all right, I need to take a little more measured pace as I hit into this decade. But I, I have seen, the wisdom of that, and in in each of those people's lives and ministries, I think there's been good fruit born from that. So my you know my vision for myself, if God gives me that much time, is like, oh, that's, that's the moment where I need to be making that shift as yeah. well and sort of backing out.
3: That's a beautiful picture too because as we're talking a lot about the 40s and building something, uh, my heart did go to those that are in our midst that are in the 50s and the 60s and 70s because there is a different kind of life catching up to you of, yep. yeah, my best building is behind me, uh, and so now what, now what can I give myself to? And so I think where we lack is good examples in the faith, of yes. people who have actually done something different than what the culture would want us to do and encourage us to do. And so when you're hitting those phases where it's like, okay, my work is dialing away and my family work is dialing away. It's like the, the church needs spiritual mothers and fathers and yeah. spiritual grand grandmothers and grandfathers. And so to be at, have the humility to ask the question, I'm not done yet. Lord, you're not done with me yet and your people need me, but it's going to just feel different. Like, how do I shift into the different kind of energy and the different kind of needs to, to fill?
1: And I think how do I, most people at that age want to invest in their own grandkids, which is good. How do I see the church as my broader family? Because I think right. that the American individualism can yeah. press us into like, well, I'm just going to invest in my own grandkids, you know, which is great. I think grand, grandparents need to do that. But to your point, Kevin, they also, I hope, would invest in the 30-somethings in the church that they're in and the 20-somethings in the church that they're in and say, All yes. right, I got something to pass on to these people about faith and yeah. legacy. And and that assumes that I've built those things in my own life and soul, right? And so there's there's a reality there, too, of am, am, I the, am I doing the work now that will leave me with something meaningful to give at 50 and 60 and 70?
2: What you're What we're talking about here is distinctly Christian because of the american dream yep. right of like well i've i've put in all my years and i'm 65 now and i'm clocking out and i'm gonna go get mine you know this is my reward so i can my, I can wa- bail.
1: my wife's parents lived in a community in georgia there was a lot of folks who were retired it wasn't a retirement community but it was just a place where a lot of older people built homes and it was around this lake and really idyllic setting <laughs> and they were part of these like you know walking and hiking and biking clubs and they, they've realized that all their friends who were like in their sixties and seventies, the thing was to spend a week with each grandkid alone. Whoa. So if it was like your grandparents, Duster, six your kids, weeks it was like, Hey, send, yeah, send us the first kid. We'll spend a week with them and then send it. But it was, it was totally like this self-absorbed, like I just want a week alone with each grandkid. And there was like a beauty in it, but there was also like my, my, my wife's parents were like, it's also kind of weird. Like (laughs) it's, there's a, like, can we have all the family over at once or kind of weird for the kid? (laughs) That's a thing. Right. But, but it's a little bit of that American dream individualistic. Like, you know, I think there's a, there's a beauty in the instinct behind it, but there's also this weird, it was very much about for the grandparents. Like it's really satisfying for us to have each grandkid alone. And you know, again, I don't, I'm not trying to knock that idea, but I think it's an example of an, a self-absorbed kind of vision of influence instead of saying, hey, how can I in those years, not just spend a week alone with each of my grandkids, but be investing in the local church, be making disciples, be giving myself to my community in meaningful ways, be raising up other leaders. That's the vision I want those generations to have.
2: We've talked a lot about midlife and beyond. To go buzz light year for a moment. But I also do want to just drop a quick note. If you're a teenager or in your you're in your twenties, man, just keep asking people for really a decade, hey, who is it do you think I am? Hmm. And um, and then just start honing that and owning that and then asking the Lord to redeem some of that along the way. Um, and and I would also just say, man, try lots of stuff. Yeah, that's true. You know, when we're <laughs> just shipped off two kids to college, Bob, and uh, there's so much pressure on high schoolers. You better know what you want to major in. There's like high school juniors should know exactly what, who they want to be by the time they're 35, but we're asking them right now. They're not even (laughs) sleeping, you know? So I just want to say, man, don't worry about that. Just try lots of stuff and keep Mm -hmm. asking for feedback and then you're going to figure it out.
1: Yeah. I like to think 18 to 30 is really an age of exploration. And that can be sinful exploration of like, let me try out all the vices I could possibly explore. But it should be a virtuous exploration of let me figure out who I am. What am I good at? What are my skills and gifts? What do I have to contribute to the world? What am I not good at? Who am I not? And it really matters to have community to help shape some of those things and wise people that you can ask and look up to backing out of sort of what each of those transitions look like the point here is that these these decade transitions are places where life catches up to you places where there needs there's an opportunity for either leaning into a more a deeper kind of discipleship to Christ or an opportunity to sort of back out and and coast back away become more shallow instead of more deep might be a way to say it so i think what the lord is giving us in each of these decade inflection points as life catches up to you at 30 and 40 and 50 uh, and 60 and 70 and whatever, that these are opportunities where there's a there's an invitation to go a little deeper in discipleship, in fellowship with God, in what am I giving myself to? What does it mean to be all in with Christ as his follower? And as we follow him on that journey, um, we're pulled more fully into, I think, what it means to be a fully alive and fully mature follower of Jesus. And so the main takeaway from this last point in the podcast is just to anticipate what the next transition is for you. You know, I'm coming up on 50. And so I'm already trying to think about like, all right, well, that's an inflection point. You know, I might have to take another retreat at the lake house and yeah. <laughs> spend Get some time journaling. Um, but, uh, trying, I don't have a lake house. So well, you know, I don't either. Yeah. I have friends with lake houses, which is if anybody a, a wants to send us thing. a lake house <laughs> instead of <laughs> snacks, instead of snacks. to the church. <laughs>
3: I appreciate you guys' humility around the table, especially um, since I'm the only guy at this table who hasn't hit 40 yet.
0: Whoa, um, wow. Just, hey, I'm making only 39, that bro. He's 39. Oh, I thought Back you down. hit it. Back Dang it. He's All such
3: right. an old soul, though. <laughs> Look at him. That is what it is. Mike, when we sit next to each other and we're only three years apart in age, <laughs> something ain't right. Just saying. I love you, brother, but uh, you could be my grandpa. Uh,
1: <laughs>
3: with vinyl records. There you go. <laughs>
1: Love it. Well, thanks, listeners, for uh, engaging this with us. And uh, I hope that when life catches up to you, and as life catches up to you, this helps you um, think and be proactive about what it's going to require in your relationship with the Lord. And something worth saying that I think we hit, but I'll, I just want to emphasize it as we close the podcast is to say community is essential at each of these moments. Yeah, and I think part of what ha- part of the temptation to back out is to sort of isolate and go inward. And I think that's what I see a lot of people doing at these inflection points is like, eh, you know what, friendships are harder, the older you get, you know, some of your friends have pieced out of your life or pieced out on Jesus. And so there, it's just the temptation is to isolate instead of to move more deeply or to hope and pray more deeply toward real meaningful community. And I just want to say like, I want the church to be a place where we're helping one another make these transitions. And as life catches up to us, where there's people to catch us and kind of push us forward.
0: So let's be that for one another. The goal of this podcast is to equip our own church for discipleship and mission. So if you're a Christian or church leader in another context, we thank you for listening in. And we pray that this conversation might be helpful to you as you minister in your context. We always love to hear from you, the listeners. So send us your thoughts, questions, future podcast topic ideas to podcast at cdomaha.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time for another Wednesday Conversation.